Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Delaney out here trying to get that raise. <laughs> no, we love, how many of you just love, love Delaney as our family pastor? Man, really incredible. Man, I, I have to say, I am so thankful for the work that she does in raising up really the next generation and coming alongside parents. And uh, it, it's really incredible. And I want to encourage you, if you want to bless Delaney, uh, would, you, uh, would you serve in kids' ministry? I, I, it's really simple. We have such an opportunity to breathe life into this next generation, to come alongside parents. And oftentimes we see kids' ministry as just like changing diapers or a random curriculum. And I think we miss it. And I think a lot of people miss the, the ministry of Jesus because he did it with uh, people that culture said were small. And often children are the smallest. And I think that's where some of the greatest beauty of the gospel takes place is when we love on kids. So I know you have that connection card. I know there's no box for it. I think there's a box to serve, but you just write anywhere on there and we'll find it. I want to serve in kids. <laughs> and just maybe once a month. You say, I could do once a month. I could, I could uh, teach about Jesus Christ or I could help facilitate discussions and amazing things happen in kids ministry. It's so cool. Is this for me? Whoa, dang. This is on. Where did this come come from? Oh, cool. Rock and roll. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, right on. Uh, well, excited to, to continue our series with you this morning uh, and excited to drink whatever this is. Let's give it a shot together. It's coffee. Cool. <laughs> Could have gone either way. <laughs> uh, but excited to share with you. You know, we've been in this series called, uh, called The Best is Yet to Come on the Book of Ruth and talking about hope and refreshing. And really, it's my desire and my encouragement uh, to you that as we go through this book, that it really is a book of encouragement for people in all seasons of life. Uh, last week, if you were with us, we looked at Ruth 1, which interestingly enough, when you read Ruth 1, does not feel like a book of encouragement and hope and joy. It's a book of a lot of suffering. It's a chapter of a lot of difficulty. Uh, we, we, we looked at Naomi and uh, Naomi and her husband Elimelech, great name, who left Israel during a famine and went to Moab, uh, a country that they were told not to go to, but they went there. And when they arrived there, they lived their life. But in the process, Naomi's husband Elimelech died and her two sons died as well. But it wasn't before they had taken two wives and those two wives unfortunately had no children. Uh, and so Naomi was left with uh, one of the daughters-in-law named Orpah and one of the daughter-in-laws named Ruth, for whom the book is, is named. And we saw last week that Naomi says, listen, I'm going back to my people and I'm releasing you to go back to your parents so you can find new husbands because I don't have any more sons and there's no person who can come along and redeem our line. And we talked a little bit about that last week, that there's someone called a kinsman redeemer who would come along and who could marry, they were a member of the family, marry the family can, and one of the daughters and continue the line. She says, listen, there's no one like that. And interestingly enough, and, and nothing against Orpah, right? She leaves. It's totally understandable. She goes back home to find a new husband. But Ruth does something extraordinary and different in that she clings to Naomi. 
But interestingly enough, it's not just Naomi that she clings to. She makes a profound declaration that Naomi's God will be her God, and she clings to God. And as we looked at difficulty, how many of you know there's difficulty in life, right? What we looked at is not the avoidance of difficulty or, or the belief that difficulty will never come, but what is happening when difficulty does befall us. And we looked at last week that even in dark times, God is working for good. And we can be encouraged by Ruth's model of clinging to God and having hope even amidst hard times. In many ways, I think last week, if we were to define it based off seasons, which Delaney mentioned that I like the environment. I'm not like a, a tree hugger, but I do really like trees. I got to say, big fan of nature, gardening, big fan of seasons. If you've been here for long enough, I'm going to talk about gardening eventually. It's amazing. Uh, we were created to do it, right? Uh, it's, it's perfect. I can't wait, you know, to just, you know, retire garden all day. It's going to be great. Um, but... I think of the chapter one in many ways like winter, in that it, it, it was very desolate. A lot of things were wiped away. And in being wiped away, winter does something. If you've ever been in a forest during winter, what happens? All that snow falls, and you can see a lot clearer. You can't see a lot, but you can see a lot more clearly, a lot clearer vision. But what's amazing is in winter we think, oh, everything's dead. But underneath there's actually a lot of life that happens in the soil in winter. It, it's gone dormant, but it's in preparation. And so as the sun comes out and as spring begins to come, there, there's life that begins to burst forth. And it didn't magically appear. It was under there, but it wasn't breaking forth to life. It, it was not its season. But it begins to burst forth. And all of a sudden we begin to see all the life that was under there, all the working that was under there begin to come forth and begin to burst forth. And in the same way, Ruth chapter 2 is like that. And in the same way, I, I'm believing that even as a season for our own church, that this is a season where life has begun to burst forth where it's been a season of winter, but life is beginning to break out. And so I want to encourage you that today is a happy day in the Ruth, uh, the Ruth sermon series, and I believe it's going to encourage us as well. But before we get to Ruth chapter 2, I just want to read the last line of Ruth chapter 1. Last line of Ruth chapter 1. It goes like this. It says, Ruth chapter 1, verse 22. It says, So Naomi returned... And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And then Ruth chapter 2. says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, great name, whose name was Boaz, also a great name. Somebody say Boaz. That's a great name. If you're looking to name a kid, Boaz, he's a good guy in here. You're going to find out. Put it on the reference. Just saying, a lot of babies up in this church. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So Ruth and Naomi, they return to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And immediately we see the character of Ruth continued from chapter 1, that she goes out and takes responsibility for Naomi. 
She goes out, she says, I'm going to go work in the fields. I'm going to go glean from the fields so that we can have food because the beginning of the barley harvest was the time where you could go and you could collect food. And they had this practice of gleaning the fields. Now, this was actually a really great practice in Old Testament Israel. And I know sometimes you might have this impression of God in the Old Testament as being very uh, mean. <laughs> Right? The, the God of the Old Testament is like, send the snakes, right? It's, there's, there's things that happen and judgments that happen. And so on the outside of perspective, if you don't understand the judgment and the mercy of God, you're like, man, OT God was mean. And then you know, he retired or something, just chilled out for, for the New Testament. But no, it's the same God all the way through. And the God of the Old Testament put in practices with his people to preserve and care for uh, what we nowadays would call marginalized people, but they were orphans, widows, foreigners. He put practices into Mosaic law to provide for them, which is incredible. It was also not cultural in the ancient Near East. Let me, let me read to you from Leviticus 19. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, this is God talking, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner, for I am the Lord your God. So what would happen is workers would walk the field, and when they would get to the edges, they would not harvest all you know, the stalks of grain or whatever it might be or the vineyard all the way to the edge. They would leave the edge. But also when they were taking the gleanings, when they would pull the, the head of wheat off, and they'd usually have like a bag or sometimes a basket, if some fell in that process, they would just leave it and keep going. And that allowed poor people or widows or orphans or foreigners to come in and, and take from the edge of the field or whatever was left over. It was a, it was a moment of provision. And it, it, not only did it teach people to care for the poor, but it taught people something important about God. It taught people something important about their relation to God. Because it would be very natural to say, well, I planted all of this. I should get all of it. I should glean to the edge. I should go all the way to the edge of it. Why? They haven't done anything. Why should I leave anything for them? But God is teaching something to his people to say, listen, I'm the one who provides all of it. And I'm teaching you something about not hoarding all of what I provide, but give something back to me. And in fact, scripture is full of principles like that, that approach our heart like tithing, that say, what will I do with what God has provided? Will I say, it's all for me? Or will I say, God, your will be done? And it's amazing how that filters into all of our life. And so that was the ideal scenario. They wouldn't glean to the edges. They would leave it. But if you've ever read the Old Testament or you've ever met a person, you know <laughs> that the ideal scenario is not always the scenario. And what God intends for his people is not always what they live out. They're not always doing what he said he commanded them to do, as same with us, <laughs> And so in many cases, God, especially because Ruth is taking place at the same time as the book of Judges, in many times God is sending prophets saying, listen, you are not caring for the widows and orphans. You are not caring for the poor. You are not caring for the alien in your land. You are not caring for these people. He said, but I've called you to do that. So when Ruth says, I go to glean behind him who I find favor, she's not saying I'm going to glean behind Boaz. She's saying I'm going to glean behind whoever will literally let me do that. 
And in this way, we see the character of Ruth continue to be exceptional because she is taking her life into her own hands by doing this. She is, if not her life, she's at least risking her physical health. She needs food. She goes to find it, but she knows something. She is a foreigner and a people who do not respect her people now. She is in a land where the law is not obeyed, and she is a single woman, right? That context still kind of plays now, right? If you're, someone's coming into this country as a single woman and making that journey, that, that's still scary, right? But now imagine a context where there is very little law, and there's very little understanding for personal rights and privileges. And she says, I'm just hoping to find favor, hoping someone will treat me well, and we will get enough food to live. Man, I, I like this gal. <laughs> I gotta say, I don't know about you. I don't care if you're man or woman, like, that's tough. That's tough. She's got some grit. She's hoping to find favor. Here's what happens. Verse three. You still with me? Amen? Amen. Amen. Drink some of this coffee. It's going in the podcast. Verse three. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Look at that, look at that phrase. Look at this writing uh, a moment here. It says, and she happened to come to the, far, the part of the field. Well, man, I did that first service, said part of the field. Part of the field. Man, his mercies are new every sermon. <laughs> And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. I really love the writer of Ruth. They say Samuel likely wrote the book of Ruth. Uh, I, I love the writer of Ruth here because all of the Bible is important, but some of the Bible is like records of names. And though you read it and it is important, you know, you might quick read it on that Bible reading plan. You know the one I'm talking about, just be honest. You're like, and so, and so, and so, and so, and so, and so, and you're like, flip, flip, flip. Oh, the good part, right? In our brain, we work that way. But some of uh, scripture is poetry. Some of it is uh, epistles, letters, and some of it is narrative, where the writer is, is telling us a true story, and, but they, they have discretion in how they reveal that information to us. And how many of you know there's a good way to tell a story and a boring way to tell a story, right? I don't know if any of you have this family member. When they start telling a story, everyone looks around the table like, buckle up, this is going to be lame. Right? And then you have that one person who just can't help themselves and wants to end the story for them. Or that one, uh, you know, you're, you might be married to them. You just take over telling it. They're like, listen, you're, no, shh, shh, shut up. And you just take it. So there's a good way and a bad way to tell a story. And I believe that this is a great way to tell a story because the writer is leading us to an understanding through the narrative. And he's saying something that it's not sarcastic, but it's very clever in the way it's relaying it. He's saying, she happened to come to the field. Now, does the writer believe that the point of the Bible is happenstance? No. <laughs> no. He's setting something up here. He's saying, she just happened to come. She chanced upon this field. And he's using a device here, a writing device, as if to say, wow, what a surprise of providence. That she just happened to come across a field of a worthy man from her own family. As if kind of in a mildly sarcastic way to say, it's just oh, by chance she found this field. 
And think of that setup, Ruth 1. Naomi says, I have come back empty. I have no food, and I have no redeemer. There's no one to redeem my line. And the writer says, well, it just so happened that they actually came back on the first day of the barley harvest. Barley harvest means food. And it just so happened that in this town that they came back where they thought there was no redeemer, there was a redeemer. And it just so happened that Ruth, in looking for a place to glean, went to unknowingly the place where that redeemer lived. It just so happened. It's because the writer is trying to introduce us to an idea here, is that God's providence is no accident. It's not by chance. It's by God. That God is working for good even amidst dark times. That even amidst struggle and difficulty, God is not winging it. God is not hoping that the next part turns out all right. Like, well, let's see if she makes it to that field. Oh, she picked Derek's field. Well, I guess the line of Christ is over. I've got to start back again. <laughs> right? No. His mercy is flowing and abundant. He's clearly blessing Ruth and Naomi. The question is, why is he blessing Ruth and Naomi? And we'll get there. But before that, verse 4, it says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Now, we're reading the Bible, so we assume, we assume that, like, main characters are going to be, you know, kind of spiritually and, like, love the Lord. But I have to tell you, this is profoundly unique for this time. In a time where it says the word of God was few and people were not serving the Lord, here we have a guy who comes in and gives a formal greeting of the Lord to his people, to his employees. He says, the Lord be with you. And they answer him more formally, the Lord bless you, which is a very common greeting. The Lord bless you, keep you, may his face shine upon you. May his countenance shine upon you. I think it says a lot. You, I know, ladies, if you're looking for a man here, don't look at how he, he just talks to you. Look at how he talks to people that the world says he doesn't need to treat well. Right? You can tell a lot about a man by how he treats people that society says he doesn't need to treat well. Right? How does he treat that waiter? How does he treat his employees? How does he talk to them? Not just like, does he speak down, but does he speak up? Does he lift? Does he encourage? Does he facilitate and cultivate a, a place where people are encouraged by the mercies and blessings of God? And we see that with Boaz. We see that not only does he greet his servants and honor God, but we see that they honor God in return. And so the claim earlier that he is a worthy man is, is supported in this moment. Here's a man that though... Israel is struggling in obedience to God. Here is a man who is fully obedient to God, which adds to the just so happened. It just so happened he was there. It just so happened that he was deeply serving the Lord because he could have been the kinsman redeemer and also kind of a butthead, right? Or he could have been really great and not the kinsman redeemer. But he's not. He's someone special. And so in verse 5, it says, Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said to the young man, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She's working hard. And Boaz takes note of Ruth, and he goes to speak to her. And we sense, and I, and I hope you can sense there's a tenderness, there's a care in the way that he is referring. He's not talking down to her. He is showing compassion to her. 
Boaz says to Ruth, verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now, listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. He says, don't glean from another field. Why? Well, I don't think we have to stretch too far to understand why a single young woman alone in a field with a bunch of dudes might be concerned about her well-being, right? That doesn't feel like a I hope I hope you know enough about the world to know that's not that much of a stretch, right? There, should, there would be some fear there, right? Here she is. She's young, single, foreign woman, no one to defend her. She's easy prey for people with these evil intentions. And Judges is a time, if you ever read the book of Judges, of profound violence and sexual perversion. As is most usual with nations, the further they get from God and living under his principles, the more violence and sexual perversion there is. And so here's Boaz who says, listen, follow my young women because they're safe, which tells us something about Boaz too, that he has young women who feel safe working there. It's not like, okay, now I've said, but he's given her protection. He says, listen, I've told him no one will harass you. It's kind of like the first workplace sexual harassment policy, right? Though you don't legally have any rights, Ruth, I, under my authority, have placed you, and you have protection and rights. Not only that, not only are you under my protection, but you're under my provision, Boaz says, because you can drink from the water that the men draw. And I know that sounds really not that important to us. That's a huge deal when you understand that men did not draw, Israelite men did not draw water for foreign women. That was not culturally okay. That would have been culturally unclean or at least uncouth, right? It would not be considered important or good that she would have to go draw her own water. And here's saying, no, come, sit on level with us, be with us. I know you're a foreigner, you're an outsider, in more ways than one, but come, be a part of us. And I think this is really where we see Boaz's character and God's character displayed through Boaz. Because have you ever felt like an outsider? That's a scary place to be, right? And Ruth was a complete outsider. Now, I know we, we, we live in the era of, like, fairytale movies. So, like, this is just, like, a setup for a movie for us in Western culture. We're like, he's a rich millionaire with a vineyard. She's a young girl working in the servant life. Like, will they meet, right? Like, like every form of Cinderella that's ever lived. So we, like... You expect that now, which is like why every dude that proposes now needs like an orchestra and 18,000 roses, right? When I proposed, you got down on your knee and the fact you could afford a ring was enough, right? You're like, let's go broke trying to get married together, right? It was, that was enough. Uh, now it's just grandiose because like every movie is like, he was a millionaire, she was a mailroom worker, wanted to be fashionista, and they grew together in the hills of Tuscany or whatever it is, right? Okay, let me tell you, that did not happen in the ancient Near East. The Bible is profoundly unique in that people like Rahab the prostitute is in the lineage of our Lord and Savior. That is how good God is. It is unique that this woman from a country they were told not to intermarry with, who is displaying the qualities of Christ, who is coming to the authority of Christ, or, or, or of the Lord, of Yahweh, 
who has a different people, a different language, a different home, different customs, different gods she used to worship. Now she worships Yahweh. She had a she had no husband. She had no money. You don't pick up seed off the ground because you're rich. I don't care how crunchy you are. She had no social status. She was from an enemy people group, and yet Boaz is bringing her into this space. And not with like some subtle intention. He's just showing mercy. He's embracing her with care and compassion. He's giving her safety and provision. Why? Like, why? Because he's part of God's mercy. See, this is the question that the author is leading us to. Is this just one big coincidence? It just so happened. Is it really just by chance? Is it by chance that the famine ends, though they were already destitute and had lost, but now the famine ends and they go back to the place that will be lead to their salvation? Is it just by chance that Ruth clings to Naomi, Ruth who will continue the line all the way to King David, all the way to King Jesus? It will go through her. Is it just by chance that she clings when she could have left? Is it just by chance that they return at the time where they can begin to gather food? Is it just by chance, by chance, a worthy man of the family Boaz was there. By chance, Ruth happens to go to one of the fields that Boaz is a steward and in charge of. By chance, she was allowed to glean and not chased away. By chance, Boaz shows up when she's there. By chance, he was an honorable and fearing, a God-fearing man when he very easily could not have been. By chance, did he just bring her in and protect her? By chance, he's the very kinsman redeemer who will restore their family? It's like, are you following the writer here? He's doing something smart. He's saying, really, by chance, just it just so happened? It just, no, this is God's providence. God's providence is no accident. This is the mercy of God on full display. Yes, it's surprising. It's overwhelming. It's incredible. But it is not an accident. It's like, well, it just happened that all these things kind of got thrown up in the air and fell in the most beautiful possible way. No. In this world, when things get casually thrown up in the air, they land in the most tragic and difficult possible way. The world is a place of chaos. God is a place of order. And it says in Ruth 2.10, she's overwhelmed, which I think is reasonable. She falls on her face, bowing to the ground, and says to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Now, what is she saying? Is there just deep-rooted xenophobia in Israel? No, she, she's saying, I'm an outsider. You are the people of God, and though I've chosen to follow God, I'm an outsider. I, I, I'm not a member of Israel, and I'm not even married in anymore, <laughs> but I'm on the outside. I think, man, church, if we we're going to be honest, I think a lot of us have reasons we feel like we're on the outside. Maybe today you're here and never even been in a church, and you're just thinking, I'm an outsider. I'm, I'm not part of this thing. Whatever's happening, I, I'm not a part of that. That that's a whole thing with church people, and I'm an outsider. Like Ruth, you would say, like, I'm the foreigner. And maybe you've wondered in your life, like, why is God leading the way he is? Why am I here? I think many of us, even when we discover Christ, we have all these insecurities and reasons why we cannot receive the blessing and favor of God, and all these thoughts about why we aren't enough, because we say, no, I'm an outsider. I'm a foreigner to this. I'm not one of the people of God. How could I be one of the people of God? How could I be a child of God? Like, if you flip back in the memory book of my life, you would not say, ah, oh, yes, child of God. You would say, child of chaos. How, how, how? I'm an outsider. 
And I love Boaz's answer. Are you still with me? He says this. Boaz answered her. Love Boaz. He says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Why? Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Why has the Lord blessed Ruth? Is it because she uh, left everything to come with Naomi? No, that, that's pretty incredible, and that is great, and that is good. But that's not, she hasn't earned it. It's not a, not a thing you earn. Ruth has God's favor because she has taken refuge under his wings. Hear me today. Those who take refuge under God's wings will live in his mercy. Throughout Scripture, God is described as a refuge. The psalmist describes him as a strong tower, a safe place of refuge and rest when under attack. He's described as a a shepherd gathering his flock in his arms, defending his flock, his little ones, his loved ones. And here, Boaz, though the psalmist has not written it yet because the psalmist is yet to come through his very line, Boaz says, it's like a mother bird bringing her hens, her chicks under her wing. That's a very intimate image, right? To describe the Lord, the creator of the universe, to bring us in under covering and protection and provision and comfort and care. Psalm 36 says, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 91 says, He will cover you with His pinions. Under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. And Psalm 57, 1, I love it, says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. How many of you know that in this life there are storms of destruction that come against you? But I love what the psalmist says here in this moment. He says, because I've taken refuge in you, God, be merciful. Reveal your mercy. Why is Ruth living out the mercy of God? Because she took refuge in the Lord. She has not earned mercy because she left every worldly comfort for Naomi. She left every worldly comfort because she took refuge in the Lord. Being under his wings allowed her to leave behind worldly comforts and fears and walk into the unknown with Naomi and walk into the place where God was going to bring a redeemer for her. She walked into redemption because she left those comforts, but she left those comforts and those fears and those anxieties and all of those things because she came under the wings of the Lord. Can I tell you, this is the message of the gospel, that God has mercy on anyone who will humble themselves like Ruth and take refuge under his wings. 
Israelite, Palestinian, Gentile, foreigners around the world, outsiders, broken, those who would call themselves failures, doubters, strugglers, sinners of every kind, anyone who humbles themselves like Ruth, who takes refuge under the wings of God, will receive his mercy. Not because it is deserved, but because Jesus came to give it to you, to invite you in, to make a way that the curtain is torn. He says, come in, come under the wings of God and receive the the refuge. Take refuge under him. You say, but I don't deserve it. He's exactly, you don't deserve it, but I'm still inviting you. It's still for you. I'm still here for you. Humble yourself like Ruth and come under the refuge. Jesus speaks to his people in Matthew 23 and he says, and I think you can hear his lament. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing? See, your house is left to you desolate. Ruth humbled herself, and her house was redeemed. The Pharisees did not humble themselves, and their house was left desolate. See, Jesus came to bring life and life to the fullest. That all people who call on his name will be saved. He died on the cross. He takes our sin and our shame so that we might be brought peace and comfort. But the Pharisees rejected it. The religious leaders of, of Israel at the time, they, they could not humble themselves. They were prideful. And essentially all sins are, are the, the children and grandchildren of pride. They would not surrender their hearts. They would not repent of their sins. They would not receive Jesus as Lord. So as much as he longed to gather them under his wings, they would not come under his wings and take refuge. Hear me today. Jesus is not looking for employees. Jesus is not looking for people who will earn a place, earn a wage, earn a position. He is looking for those who will take refuge under his wings, who will take shelter in him as their Lord and Savior. Let me give you three things that we find under the wings of God. With me, amen? amen? Amen. Okay, three things. Under his wings, there is redemption. Someone say redemption. We are covered from the wrath of our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ paid the debt of our sins for which we all have. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet... His blood covers us. When judgment for our sins is passed, God is a perfect judge, and so there is judgment for our sins. When it is passed, we are covered by the blood of Jesus. So that judgment has already passed on, and that wrath has already passed on to Jesus Christ, and he has taken it upon himself. No matter your sins, when you confess them to Christ, he has already paid for them on the cross. You are free. He has taken your debt. So when you confess your sins and come under the wings of God, you come under the covering of the blood of Jesus and you find freedom. That is what redemption is. It redeems our souls from the pit. It is my soul is destined for hell and yet Jesus, because of his great love, comes and frees me and releases me. He says, submit your heart to me and find freedom. Come under my wings a covering there's redemption second thing there's rest and re refreshing if you're taking notes write this under his wings there is rest and there is refreshing in fact band you guys can come up
We talked a couple weeks ago on Refreshing Sunday. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and tired, all who are heavy laden. Anyone feel weary and tired? Anyone feel heavy laden this morning? Jesus says, come to me. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the ultimate Sabbath, says, I have total rest for your soul. Can I tell you, there's nothing more anxious than a life lived without refuge. We do a lot of work with those who are displaced or homeless, without a refuge, without a place. And if you've ever, you've ever been in that position, then you fully understand that that is a place of sometimes fear and anxiety and uncertainty. It is not a place of peace. When there's not a refuge for you, a, a safe place for you, I think in many ways our soul senses that. When our soul has no refuge, then it has no peace. And without peace, there is no rest. Without rest, there is not renewal. And so when we humble ourselves, like Ruth, and we come under the wings of God, we find peace. And when we find peace, we can rest. And when we find rest, we're renewed by the Spirit. Third and final thing, under his wings there is blessing. Under his wings there is blessing. I love the Lord says, if you earthly fathers give good gifts and you're evil, how much will God give good things to you? For he's perfect. And now the life under his wings is profoundly blessed, but it might not look like the hashtag blessed that we see on social media. In fact, it's greater, it's greater than temporary things. It's being blessed by his mercy and his providence. It's being blessed by his provision and care. It's being blessed by his comfort and goodness and trusting in the Lord to provide and to make a way that his mercy is good, just like Ruth, who in the face of difficulty, you know, it did not diminish Ruth's difficulty to come under the wings of God. She still faced struggle, and I'm sure there were still hard days, but when she came under the wings of God, she discovered his great mercy, and it led to her great joy. It led to her great blessing. And I want you to hear me say that it's not by chance that you are here today. It's not by chance that you walked in here anxious and are hearing of the Prince of Peace just as it's not by chance that Jesus came to the earth, just as it's not by chance that he fulfilled more prophecies than is humanly possible without divine intervention, that it is almost statistically impossible to do what he is recorded to have done, just as it's not by chance that he's already taken the sins that are heavy on your shoulders, that he has already taken them to the cross, and in this moment you are free from them when you submit your heart to him. It's not chance that in this moment as you're hungry for hope and healing and restoration that you serve a God who is not demanding of you anything but to come under his wings and receive healing. It's not by chance that Jesus is inviting you under his wings. It is by choice that he came to you. It is by love that he died for you. It is by purpose he has called you. And it is because of his great mercy that in this moment he is inviting you. See, all the Pharisees had to do was take refuge under the wings of Jesus to stop justifying themselves, to stop relying on themselves, to stop glorifying themselves, but they would not. Ruth was not their model. Pride was their model. They did not bow. They did not revel in his grace, and so they did not walk in his freedom. 
And I want to say, don't be like a Pharisee today. Be like Ruth who humbled herself, who said, I feel like an outsider. I feel like I'm unworthy. I'm undeserved. I feel like I don't deserve to to, to be a part of this. But you know what? Your God is my God. I'm coming under his wings. I'm coming under his authority. I'm walking with him. And in so doing, experience the mercy of God. He's not looking for employees. He's looking for those humble people who would come under his wings and receive his mercy. Here's what's amazing. For those of you today who say, Lord, I give you my heart and I come under your wings. I draw near to you. Can I tell you there is redemption, there is rest and restoration, and there is blessing. I'm going to invite you. Would you stand with me this morning? Before the band leads, I want to pray for you very specifically today. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? I want you to be able to focus you on the Lord. I don't want you to be distracted or disturbed by the things around you, especially if the Lord is beginning to speak to your heart. This is your moment, you and him. Today, like Ruth, the Lord invites you to come under his wings and experience his mercy. So if you need redemption, If you've never experienced the hope and healing of a new life in Jesus Christ, you are living under the weight of sin. You do not have salvation with the Lord, but today you would say, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. Then this call is for you. He invites you under his wings. If you're here today and you are weary and discouraged from the storms of the world, And you have asked the question, where is the Lord? Can I tell you, he says to you, I am here right now today with rest and refreshing for your soul. Come under my wings. Then this is for you today. And if you're here and you long for the mercy of the Lord and his blessing in your life and you say, I want to walk faithfully with him, believe that a life walking with the Lord and under his wings is the best life. And I want my life and my family to be blessed by the presence of God in every way. So I come under his wings and under his authority and everything. Then this call is for you. So I'm going to invite you in this moment. And I would be honored to pray with you because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do something in your heart today. Before we worship and before you respond in prayer. I want to say if you're here, whether it's redemption, rest, refreshing, or blessing, whatever it might be, whatever is in your heart, if you're saying today, I want to just come under the wings of Jesus right now and be near to him in this moment and submit my heart to him. Would you lift your hands? I want to pray with you today. You'd say, I just, I want to come under the wings of Jesus right now. Man, you're saying, I need you as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you're saying, I need rest. I need restoration. I need to be renewed. Or maybe you're saying, God, I bring my family under your wings right now that you would bless us and lead us in your mercy this morning. I want to pray for you today. Lord, you see these hands of your servants. You see your people gathered today that say, Jesus, we come under your wings. And so right now we say, we humble our hearts before you. For the person who it's their very first time, we say, we repent of all sins and unrighteousness. And we lay our heart at your feet and say, Jesus, you are our Lord. And for those who have maybe said it before, we still say and renew today, Jesus, you are our Lord. And so we submit under your authority because we know that when we come under your wings, your mercies are good. So right now I pray for the person 
who has never experienced hope and healing through Jesus Christ, I pray right now a revelation of your love upon them like never before. And God, right now I pray for the person who is anxious and weary and discouraged. I pray rest and refreshing right now over them in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. There, where there was once sorrow, that there would be joy. God, that you are making a way right now that the best is yet to come for them, not by man, not by our strength, but by the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray for the person right now, whether themselves or their family, that says, God, we submit our lives to you. I pray that you would bless them abundantly with your mercy and with your provision. That God, it is truly something to say, I trust you with everything. And so as we say that, as we say, I give you everything, I build my life on you, I build my hope on you. God, I pray you would bless them. I pray you would make a way where a way needs to be made. I pray you would provide opportunity where opportunity is needed. I pray that you would renew, strengthen, and build up in the name of Jesus that your mercy would overflow right now. Wherever you are, I just encourage you. Take this moment with your eyes closed and your head bowed in this place to just begin to say, Jesus, I come under your wings. Maybe he's going to stir up a conviction in your heart. Lay it down at his feet. Let it be here today and release it and say, I come under you. I'm under your wings, Lord. I I trust you. I trust you today. Let's just worship him this morning in this moment. Speak to him. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.